the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I grabbed a book off the shelf from the library last week, just happened to catch my eye. The title of the book was called Unshakable. Unshakable. Here's the opening paragraph to that book. What would it feel like to know in your mind, in your heart, and in the very depth of your soul that you'll always be prosperous? To know with absolute certainty that no matter what happens in the economy, stock market, or real estate, you'll have financial security for the rest of your life. To know that you'll possess an abundance that will enable you not only to take care of your family's needs, but also to delight in the joy of helping others. What would it feel like to know that in your mind, in your heart, in the very depth of your soul? It's a very attractive opening paragraph, the kind of paragraph that makes you want to read on. Maybe this guy knows something that I don't know. Maybe he knows the secret to financial stability. And in fact, that's exactly what this book promises. It's by a fellow, you probably know him or know of him, Tony Robbins, a big, big guy, square jaw, motivational speaker, deep voice, the kind of guy you look at him and you say, whatever, whatever he's got going on looks pretty reliable. He speaks with confidence. He seems trustworthy. And here's how he begins his book. Wouldn't you like to know that you're going to be okay, that you're never going to run out, and in fact, that you can enjoy sharing with others? Well, here is Tony Robbins' strategy for guaranteeing such financial security, it is to invest in index funds instead of picking stocks in the market. It's a financial strategy, and it's a little bit of psychology, making sure that you don't do silly things with your money. And he says, that's the trick. 
You have to have a long view all the way to the end of your life. You have to understand what those big guys in those offices in Wall Street are trying to pull over your eyes, the wool they're trying to pull over your eyes. You have to know all of that. And if you know that and then you make smart choices, you will be at peace. You'll have financial security. That's quite a promise, isn't it? Now, of course, everyone knows that that promise has limits. And this is the kind of consolation that financial advice can offer. It basically says something like this. Look, if the stock market crashes, at least we all go down together. At least we're all impoverished together. At least we all have little together. But notice how it can't guarantee prosperity. It can't guarantee stability. It can't guarantee success. It's a lie, an outright lie. What would it feel like? Well, you won't know by reading books like that or by listening to the wisdom of this world or by trusting, even in the slightest, in money. You won't know what it's like to feel peace if you serve that wicked master, Mammon. And so today we're going to learn but why it is so much better for you to put your trust in God. And it starts very simply with what Jesus says so plainly that no one can disagree with it. In fact, every Christian acknowledges it. It's so obvious. God has promised to provide for you. He loves the birds. He loves the flowers. He feeds them and clothes them in more splendor than he fed or clothed Solomon. Of how much more value are you? So much more valuable. In fact, see how valuable you are to God that he sent his only son to die for you. See what he gave up for you. His only son whom he loved, he handed him over to suffering and death on account of all of the sins that you committed, which he never even considered committing. He handed his son over to judgment, forsaking him on the cross so that he could save you. If that's the kind of love that God has for you, then he will certainly not let you ever suffer from want or need. He will provide for you everything you need in this life. Now you might say to yourself, I see people who are in need all of the time. I see people who are in want all of the time. And there are such things as grievous tragedies. A locust plague comes and eats all of the crops. There are such things as misfortune, tragedy. There are thieves that break in and steal. There are moths that, that consume what we have and rust that destroys it. All of that is possible. All of that is possible. But even so, what has Jesus said? He will take care of you. He will provide for you. Which means that, in fact, the only time that a person would ever truly be in desperate need, without help, without hope, in despair would be if they had taken matters into their own hands. If they had thought they could save themselves. If they had thought that their stuff was for serving their own passions. Listen to how James describes it. This is so indicting, it just cuts me to the heart. He says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So, of course, we should not expect to have enough or what we want if we ask to serve ourselves. But if we ask according to God's will, Lord, clothe me as you clothe the lilies of the field. Lord, feed me as you feed the sparrows. Lord, love me the way that you have promised to love me so that I can do well for those around me and serve my neighbors. Then you will never, you will never 
be without. God has promised. And that is why this is really only a question of faith. But notice how easy it is to misplace our faith, to trust in the wrong things. To think, if only I had enough money, then I would be able to see how God is providing for me. That is to put money in the place of God. Instead, what we should say is, if I have God, then he will take care of the money. If I have God, then everything else will be okay. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll use all of the tools at his disposal. Money, friends, family, nature, all of the material in this world God will use for your good, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It is very easy to think of God as the guarantor of worldly possessions, as though what God has promised here is to give you enough money, and then you'll be okay. That's not true. Instead, what God has promised you is that he will take care of you, whether that's by means of money or another way. He has guaranteed not just to give you what you need, but to guarantee your whole life. In fact, God goes one step further. He doesn't want to just give you enough for yourself, but he wants to give you enough to share with others. So when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he gives them some instructions about what they should do. And he says, if you were a thief, if you were a thief, let him no longer steal. Quit stealing. That's a good idea, following God's law. Instead, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? Not so that he can have enough to feed himself, but why? So that he may have something to share with someone who is in need. God has promised not only to give you enough for yourself, for your family, but also for others. That is what God has promised. We should not be surprised by the lavishness of God's promises. It is shocking, and it is hard to believe, and everything that you see and feel in the world, the scarcity of the world, the greed of the world, everything lurking in your own heart, that God, mammon itself, speaks against this saying it can't possibly be true. And yet, here is God's word, plain as day. Enough for you and enough to share. Now, God's word is true and his promises are certain. His promises were made certain, especially in this, that he said he would send his son, he would be crucified, and then he would be raised from the dead. And if God is the kind of God who can promise resurrection and deliver, then he can certainly promise out of nothing. To give you everything that you need. Money cannot promise that. It tries to. Tony Robbins tries to promise you peace. Money tries to promise you that if only you had enough of it, it would be okay. Everything would be okay. But really, again, at the end of the day, all that it can promise is that we're all going to the grave together. You can bury your money with your dead body. That's what money promises. Mammon is a liar. And we do well to think about mammon, this kind of god of earthly treasures. We do well to think of it in kind of a personified way. It's after you. Like God said to Cain, it's crouching around the side of the door, waiting to pounce on you and devour you, to mislead you, to pull your heart away from God. Mammon is a liar. And here's the good news. In the end, those lies will all be revealed. On the last day, when Jesus returns with a shout and the voice of an angel and the sound of a trumpet, all of the earthly treasures that people have put their trust in will be gone. Just like that. 
And Mammon will be found cowering in the corner, ready to be sent into the abyss because his promises were empty, his words were a lie. Money cannot guarantee you anything. Now, you all know all of this, but it bears repeating and saying out loud again and again and again because it is hard for that to sink in our hearts. If you are a godless person, if you're a heathen, then you have good reason to worry in this life because all you've got is this liar mammon. And you better hold on to everything as tightly as you can. If you have no hope in the resurrection, if you have no hope in a God who has promised to provide for you, then by all means, hold on as tightly as you can. But that is not you. Jesus says, do not be anxious. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Doesn't your Heavenly Father know that you need food and clothing? Do you think he's ignorant? of what you need, or what will be best for you? Do you think he makes poor choices, that something would actually be better for you than what he gives to you? How bizarre it would be to claim that of our God. Jesus says, do not be anxious. There are lots of things that we are anxious about, and clearly money is one of them. Otherwise, Tony Robbins' book, Unshakable, wouldn't top the bestseller list on the New York Times bestsellers. Everybody wants to know, how can I overcome this fear? of not having enough? How can I overcome this fear of uncertainty, of insecurity? How can I overcome worry about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to drink or what I'm going to wear? Jesus says, don't worry about that. In fact, he goes one step further and says, here's what you should worry about. You should worry about falling in love with your money. Of all the dangers you might face in life, a danger of want is not present. God has promised to provide for you. But here's the real danger, that you won't believe him. That instead you'll Trust in your stuff, in your money, in mammon, that you'll listen to the lies of that false god. And so, watch out. Think about how ridiculous it would be for us to say that we trust in money. None of you would say that. How ridiculous it would be for us to gather together and sing hymns of praise to money, as though that were our god. Think about how strange that would be. And yet, how often is that the way our lives are formed? Living our lives as a hymn of praise to the things that we obtain, the things we possess, the things we're trying to accumulate for ourselves. Fear that. Don't fear what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. God has promised to take care of that. Instead, fear the devil lurking around the corner and put him to flight. God has given us ways to put him to flight. They are often painful. It's a matter of discipline. The most important lessons are often learned hardest. The idols that we trust in most of all are the ones that die most slowly. We learn throughout the course of our whole lives to trust in God. Oh, you of little faith, Jesus says. That's the disciples, that's all of us, little faith people. And so let us undertake to learn this lesson well. Here's the exercise that God gives us to deal with this idol mammon, to deal with our inability to trust in him. Here's the exercise he gives us. Give away your stuff. Give away your money. That is something that puts that idol to flight. It is something that makes the Pharisees lose their minds. They were lovers of money. And when Jesus tells stories about money where he treats it as though it's just a plaything, like it's just a joke, it can come and go, it's going to disappear, it's not actually worth anything. Isn't that interesting that you're all pretending like these pieces of paper actually mean something? When Jesus talks that way, it makes the Pharisees irate. They can't stand it because it is their God. 
When you treat money as if it were a joke, it makes mammon furious. And that's how you know when you're doing it right. When you're about to pull some cash out of your pocketbook in order to give to somebody who's in need, and your heart says, don't do that, you're going to need that, guess what? You're doing the right thing. You're making that God furious. You're putting mammon to shame. You're telling him, I don't believe a word that you say. Instead, I trust in the God who has promised to take care of me. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who is going to destroy mammon in the end, the God who has raised Jesus from the dead, the God who has promised me with his own name that he will never leave me or forsake me. And so, let us learn to trust in him. Learn to put mammon to flight. Learn to put the devil to flight by giving away what you've got. Biblically, this is 10%. This is what the Bible talks about. That's a good starting place for all of us to think about what it would mean to give away 10%. What would that do to my heart? Here's the thing about God's promises. He has promised to give you enough so that even when you give away 10%, you'll still have plenty to share. God has promised it. He has given you so much, and all he's asking you to do is to trust in him with what he has given to you. Now, trust is an interesting thing, and I think we imagine that we could successfully start to give things away with the lavish generosity of God if we had the abundance that God has. I've said this to you before, but I always find myself imagining, if I had a million dollars, just think about how generous I would be with that million dollars. But did you notice how the order is reversed in our Old Testament lesson today? Elijah comes to that poor widow who's preparing to make a last meal for her and her son. I don't have enough to share. I don't have enough to feed my family. If I make this last bit of bread, we're going to eat it and then we're going to die. And Elijah says to her, you're not going to die. He gives her God's word. The same word of promise that God has given to you. You're going to be fine. God is taking care of you. And then Elijah says to her, make first a little cake for me and then make some for you and your son. Notice when the woman discovers her abundance. It's only after she begins to pour out the oil that is in her jar. If she had waited until that jar started overflowing, it would never have happened. But once she started pouring, that's when the abundance became clear. She couldn't see. It's like Mary Poppins' handbag, right? Until you start pulling things out of the bag, you don't realize how much there is in it. Until she started pouring out of that oil jar, she didn't realize how generous God was going to be to her. And yet she trusted him, did what he said, and see how until the end of the famine, until it rained again, she had plenty to feed her and her son. She thought it was the end of the road. But then she heard God's word and she believed him. Pour out now. Out of your abundance, out of your poverty, pour out now in generosity, according to God's word, trusting that he will provide and see if he does not keep his word. I promise you, he will. He is sworn. Begin now to trust in God. Begin now to exercise this practice of discipline. Wherever you are, however much you give, whatever you think about generosity, there is more to do. We have our whole lives long learning to be generous like God. That's the goal. God wants to make us generous like him. That's the end result of trusting in him. Because at the end of the day, that's what he wants. 
He can get done in this world all of the things that he means to get done with or without your gifts. He can take care of the needy. He can offer things to the poor. He can feed the hungry and clothe the naked. He can do all of that even if nobody gives anything. What God wants in asking us to give is for us to put mammon to flight and instead to learn to trust in him. So go back to what Tony Robbins offered when he said, what would it feel like to know in your mind, in your heart, in the very depth of your soul that you'll always be prosperous? Put a twist on that and see how things actually are. You know, according to God's word, in your mind, in your heart, in the very depth of your soul, that you will always be prosperous. You don't have to imagine. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a fancy. It's not yet something to obtain. It is already yours in Christ Jesus. God has promised you more than you could ever hope for. So put your trust in him. Practice trusting in him. Put the devil to flight. Smash the idols in your heart and rejoice. The God is a greater God than all of those, a better God, a more loving God. See how much he loves you. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.